Let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your word and grateful to stand before it. We'd ask that you would adjust our minds to your way of thinking. In your son's name we pray, amen. Uh, it's an accidental series in Ephesians, okay? Completely accidental. If I had been doing a series on Ephesians, I wouldn't have taken one verse out of chapter one three weeks ago. And it just sort of, you know, St. Paul has a way of helping you with your thought of last week. His next passage is going to be beneficial, probably more beneficial for your thinking than anything else that could be brought up. We've been in chapter four of Ephesians. We stopped at verse 24, and uh, and I don't know if this, this accidental series on Ephesians is going to keep up, because you say to yourself, self? Ephesians 5 is coming up. It's like, who wants to preach on that? It annoy the heck out of everybody. I'll do it if we do it. I mean, it, it, it's Bible. It's wonderful. Uh, we're not that far in Ephesians 5. We're going to finish off Ephesians 4 a little bit in Ephesians 5. But what I want to do, it's one of those passages where Paul very practically goes through the kind of behavior he expects Christians have, addressing a lot of things we have been tempted to do and perhaps have even done. But I wanted to go into this because already in Ephesians, there was back in chapter 2, somewhere, I think it was, chapter 2, he lets you know that uh, God abolished the law with his commandments and ordinances to make peace. To create one new man in the place of two. There, is a, there was the piety of the Jews that God had given them in Moses. The knowing of their God. The prophets revealing him. His presence with the people. His, his presence dwelt on the mercy seat. On the Ark of the Covenant. In the Holy of Holies. One place on earth. And it was Jerusalem. God made his name to dwell there. There's a piety to that law. There's a piety to that people. But Ephesians 2 denies you the right to it. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances. On the other hand, we covered last week in chapter 4... Now this I affirm and testify in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Man, can't do anything here. There's a, this pious knowing on one hand and a pile of stupid on the other. Because the Gentiles, in the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding. They didn't have anything that God had given they didn't have the law of God. They didn't have the presence of the living God on the whole, in the Holy of Holies, in their temples in Athens. It was only in Jerusalem. So you had the pious knowing on the part of the Jews and the pile of stupid on the other side, and you're not allowed to be either. I want you to remember that. You're not allowed to be either. He has made one man in the place of two. You don't get to say, I'm a Gentile Christian. Any more than you could say, I am a Jewish Christian. You're a Christian. You no longer live like the Gentiles do, and you no longer live like the Jews do. That being said, I don't want to re-preach uh, last few Sundays. Therefore, verse 25 of chapter 4, putting away falsehood, let everyone speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 
Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may be able to give to those in need. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for edifying, as fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. Okay. Here's a little test. What did your mind just do with that? Some of you, the Pharisees here, made little Christian rules out of those. Okay, it says, don't don't lie. So you're not allowed to lie. Um, Don't get angry for the most part. Uh, Don't steal. Thou shalt not steal. And they'll even sum it up in nice Old Testament-y terms. Thou shalt not. Don't steal. Don't, don't use bad language. Now, you've almost just summed up every church's path to edification uh, in the recent uh, uh, centuries in the United States. And then there are people who say, well, that, man, that's what kills religion. That's the problem with you religious people, is you just create this boatload of rules. And really, you know, you get freedom in Christ. And, you know, it's not about the rules. What they're meaning is, and what everyone who suggests such things gets accused of, and usually rightly so, is anyone who is antinomian, that means against the law, anti, against, nomos, law. Anyone who is against the law is looking for an excuse to do the bad things. To lie, to get angry, to steal, to use salty language. We'll just call it salty language. That's what it was in the Navy. Because that's what people are about. The Gentiles who, who say, oh, we don't want any of that study of the law, the Old Testament, and the Ten Commandments. That's not what Christianity is about. And so what they do is they go hang out with their non-Christian friends and live a life completely un- not pleasing to the Lord, thinking that they've been set free from false religion. They've just been set free from a false piety of knowing to a pile of stupid. Because he's telling you, and the, and the Bible teacher, of course, is saying, I'm more tempted, I'm more tempted to make rules because look what Paul says. Put away falsehood, speak the truth. Uh, don't let evil talk come out of your mouth. So how do, how do I do this? How do I do this? Because I'm not allowed to be a legalist, I'm not a be, allowed to be licentious, i got to be both, because I'm supposed to not end up lying, and I'm supposed to be something the Lord wants, but it's a different, a different animal. He didn't get, away, get, get, get rid of the law of Moses just to come up with the laws of Paul. What we learn in the New Testament throughout and I, I quote this often out of Galatians when it says, Are you so foolish, having begun with the Spirit, you're now ending with the flesh? Let me ask you only this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, hearing with faith? Which one is it? Did you hear with faith and get the Holy Spirit? Or did you perform a certain way and get the Holy Spirit? No, you got it through faith. You're now ending with the flesh. You began with the spirit, you're now ending with the flesh. We know this, if we talk about theology at all, you know that Christianity, both in salvation and in sanctification, is by faith walking in the spirit. And he's trying to describe to you what happens when the spirit has that leadership. Because he gives... Unlike uh, the Old Testament sometimes, it's thou shalt not steal. Here it says, 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may be able to give to those in need. It's describing who he has become in Christ. Because we are made members of one another, we don't lie to one another. Because we don't want to give the devil an opportunity or the accuser an opportunity in our lives, we we don't get angry. We don't want any kind of anger that even if it's uh, allowed, it's not very long because that would give the accusation a chance to build. And because we're about imparting grace to one another, we, we don't really think about evil talk coming out of our mouths. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now that's a reminder, right there in the middle, because it, it, it continues with the instructions about don't do this, be this way, throughout the rest of this section. He throws that in there as a reminder from chapter 1, here on the left-hand side, chapter 1, verse 13, In him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You were sealed in the Holy Spirit for life eternal. Don't make him regret it. It's a seal. It's a permanence. I, I don't know what you believe about eternal security. I believe in eternal security. I believe that once you're saved, what's the phrase? You're always saved. But sometimes the Lord is kind of disappointed. Just kind of, yeah, my son died, and yes, my Holy Spirit was given to this person because of our faith in him. Because we have believed in him, you were given the promised Holy Spirit, which is a seal for our inheritance. Don't grieve him. That's the seal he brings right back up again. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do you know what happened to you? Now, the nice thing about this is it it is making an appeal to whether or not you've had an experience with God. Not whether or not you like Christianity and kind of admire the people in it. And say, yeah, let's just look around you. Look around you. We're a small church, variety of ages from old to really young. We have Sri Lankans, Nigerians, some Americans, half Japanese, We've got, I mean, just at like 50 people, 40 people. And I don't want someone coming to this church going, and they sing well too. And there are a bunch of young people who are, you know, pretty much not dorks, singing hymns. Wow, this is authentic. This is an artisanal church. And you want to be a part of it? You say, okay, what do I got to do? What do I got to believe? What do I... Hey, what do I sign? How much do I need to give? This law rests on your experience with God and that alone. And your measure of it is whether or not the Holy Spirit that you want to please, you don't want to grieve him, you want to please him, has had the ability to set you up to want to edify and bring grace to your hearers. I mentioned a few weeks ago that I've been known some Christians for quite a while, Christians in quotes, I don't know, don't, don't know. They never seem to want to talk about the Lord, ever. Don't talk, they want to talk about Christians in politics, they want to talk about the, the culture declining, they want to talk about also, but just the Lord himself. Imparting grace, good for edifying, fitting the occasion. That word fit comes up again. I want you to remember it as it goes across your radar. Fitting the occasion. And unless you've had this, you're going to be limited to either striking out on your own into the piles of stupid that says, I'm going to decide how to run my own life, me, myself, alone. 
you'll make some really bad decisions. Or you'll say, no, I'm a little nervous about that and I need, I need the patriarchs to decide for me. Give me the list of rules that all souls Christian requires of all people. And you would be happy. I mean, the crowd might be right down the middle on this. I can back it up and run my own life and, you know, train wreck. Or, no, tell me the rules. And you'll come across far more pious, of course. But the piety of the Christian life is what the Holy Spirit of God did in you because you were sealed by him. And that passage I read to you out of Ephesians is not just this one-out situation where, you know, Paul's not about this very much. The whole book of Galatians is about this. And then in Romans, right below, and I had to trim huge parts of Romans 8 out that would have been fitting to say. But look at here, Romans 8 9. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. If, in fact. I don't know if you ever stopped to think about prayer and how, what kind of presumptuous claim you are making in prayer. Say you're 19, 20. Say you're a sophomore in psych. And you're a Christian. And you're worried about a midterm. You're down on your knees in your dorm room. And I think this is pretty vague because nobody really has this situation. Down on your knees in your dorm room. And you pray that God will get you through this exam. Which sounds, everybody goes, yeah, that's, that's what we do. That's the Christian life, right? You Maybe something else, pay a bill, maybe heal Aunt Betty, whatever it is. You're claiming a sophomore. And the rest of us, mere humans, that by holding our hands in a particular position, and perhaps kneeling, and saying key words, the maker of all things, well, stop what he's doing. Go, hello? Is that you, Evan? What a presumptuousness. We are claiming, we're not, we don't want to suggest a Christian life to you on, the, on some belief that we could all pretend that this religion was really going to work, even though it was all pretend. If, in fact, God's Spirit dwells in you. Only if in fact, only if in fact the living God stops and listens to you because you're righteous and his ears are always open to your prayers, says in Peter, quoting Psalms. His ears are always open to your prayers. Children, most of all, their angels always behold the face of the Father. But that's what you're claiming. Make sure the claim is true. Make sure you've passed from death to life. Make sure if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, this is continuing in Romans, does not belong to him. So when you're struggling your way through a various ethical problem, I really don't know what it means to love. Oh, she's really hot. I don't know. I just like beer. Whatever it is, you need to go back and say, not is there a strong enough rule for me to obey about Pabst. Or that I convince myself that Christianity is not really about, you know, keeping the rules. It's about the imperatives of God being kept by you because you have been made a new creature by Jesus Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have been changed. You are capable of hearing these instructions, these descriptions of what you ought to be looking for. Instead of a temptation for you in the church to make a rule about thieving, we'd all go, yeah, stealing's wrong. Let's make a rule. 
Now, we should be saying, Jesus Christ is making you a productive member of your little society. You're going to be working hard. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit of God, in your love, and your joy, and your peace, and your patience, you're going to want to be able to give things to people. Right? Able to work with his hands so that he may be able to give to those in need. You're going to want to be able to do that. And you don't want to think that the Robin Hood story is really what, how Jesus meant that. Or St. Paul says, you know, if you stole from rich people, you could give to the poor. If you work really hard and make some money, you can give to the poor too. Do it the Holy Spirit's way. But if Christ is in you, back in that Romans 8 situation, but if Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit which dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. Christianity is different than people who say, I have a license to do what I want. I have a compulsion to do, a rule to follow. Neither of those, and both of those have accuracy in them. Both are true, but they both have to be true at the same time for the Christian. You have to see, it's not that there is not a rule against robbery. Those people who who get a little, it's usually in a college town, it's usually, you know, you know, as long, you know, you know sexual mores have changed and, uh, you know, things are different nowadays. And you should at that point reach for your concealed carry, pull it out, hold it to their head and said, give me your wallet. Things have changed. <laughs> you know, no, no, that rule still holds. No, it doesn't. When two guys love each other very much, one takes the other guy's wallet. Now, we're, 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 we're duplicitous. We're, remember, when you try to make room for your sin, you end up in the piles of stupid category. That's what Gentiles are like. Ignorant, they're understanding, their senseless minds are darkened. Versus the person who gets all, you know, we're the smarty pants Christians, we're over here studying the law, and we're making laws out of these. And these are passages where people will come and make rules for the church, and they'll say, in the New Testament, obviously imperative of God, let's translate it for your life by making it a rule. But it's not to be translated for your life by making it a rule. It's, it is supposed to be descriptive of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you by making you these good things. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Don't do that either. Did you notice back when it said, let no evil talk come out of your mouth? You ever been in that discussion? Oh, what are the words that are banned? Because you'd like to know what words I can't say. And I, you know, I said heck earlier in the sermon. In some cases, people object to that. I don't know what the, there's no Bible list. This is the benefit of this. Because as soon as someone tries to make it a rule, they got to add something. Because you can't do the rule without knowing what the list is. What, what can, can't I say? Well, evil stuff. What's evil stuff? We have to be aware that it's who we're being made, who Jesus Christ has done, what Jesus Christ has done in us. Verse 32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You're seeing a commonality, a pattern in Christ, a pattern in God, the way he wants things to run. Your mind is being shifted by the Holy Spirit. You're proving what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. 
God in Christ forgave you, I want to look like that too. So when I have some situation, I want to be kind and patient and forgiving, tender-hearted to other people. And I want to look at all the wrath and clamor and chaos, calamity that's in the world, which it seems that a lot of Christians want to choose. I don't know, do you think you're more interesting? You know how girls, no offense ladies, laugh when nothing is funny? Well, well, they want to appear interesting. They're not, but they want to appear interesting. It's not all girls, just most of them. Some people think that the drama in their life makes them interesting. It makes you stupid and wicked. Filled with malice and bitterness. And the Lord says, you know, Christ over here forgave you. You might want to look at that and see if there's a quality of life that in the Holy Spirit, the love of God, the kindness of God, is evident in you, making what he describes here. This is, this is the dipstick. This ain't the rule book, it's the dipstick. I can remember, I don't know when it happened, when I was first showed how to use a dipstick. Some people are going, what's a dipstick? Well, it's a stick that you dip in an engine to see how much oil's in it. And there's a little mark right at the end, and I went, oh my heavens, there was a mark there. How would I know when to put oil in this thing? And some older gentleman, probably a Christian, said, let me show you. Pulls it out, wipes it off with a rag, pops it back in there, pulls it out, says, see, you need a quart. It was like the wisdom of Solomon. But that's what you have here, is the dipstick running into your life. Are you a liar? Are you angry? Are you a thief? You got a bad mouth? Are you bitter, wrathful, clamorous, slanderous, malicious? Or are you kind, tender-hearted, forgiving? Because you know what's happened. Either you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has not called you out or you have decided to grieve the Holy Spirit in your life. Though he has sealed you for the day of redemption. Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 5, be imitators of God as beloved children. This is how you're to go about it. Sanctification is not okay, what's the list? I must do it. Sanctification is not, am I a free spirit? Can I do what I want? No, neither. But you can do what you want if you want what the Lord wants. You can do what you want if you want what the Lord wants. If you're imitating God like a beloved child. You've seen those probably on the interwebs. You know, I don't know, I'm not part of this kind of crowd, but women who forward pictures of little boys in their overalls just like their father or fishing together, like their father. And that sort of thing is tender. We know what it's like. We know what that image is. Beloved children want to be like their father. And walk in love. Imitators, like a loving child, or a loved child, walking as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Just like as God and Christ forgave you, the way he went about it, I walk this way, that Christ, how many of you thought of uh, Aerosmith when I said that? There's one person. Walk this way. Walk this way. The way Christ walked on earth is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Is ask yourself as the dipstick is being pulled out, what am I expecting? I know it's kind of low. I know I've been driving a little hot. There ain't enough oil in this thing. I'm probably about to seize the engine up. You know what's coming. You know what you've been like. You know what you must confess. You're to be walking in love. Your life ought to be the aroma of God, right? A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You've got to smell sweet to the holy things above. Now 
always liked that image after the flood when Noah gave a sacrifice, meat sacrifice, and God smelled the sweet savor. It says, you know how Leslie was cooking some meat yesterday evening for dinner, and boy, there's nothing like it. Fat on fire. And you want to get a, you want to, that's a good cologne name, fat on fire. It would apply to us in so many ways, but men would love it if women would wear this cologne, fat on fire. Because God appreciates the smell of fat on fire, and you are to be the smell of fat on fire before God. You are a sacrifice to God, you're an offering to God, and you're supposed to be fragrant what he likes. You are to be the kind of smell, the kind of aroma God likes. But fornication, uh-oh, we swerved into the, the dicey parts. But fornication, and all impurity and or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is fitting among saints. The tick mark on this dipstick, as is fitting. Just remember what fits the occasion. What fits your Christian life? The rules don't fit, and sin doesn't fit. So what does fit? Let there be no filthiness. He, I mean, he's, he's now on the topic. Oh, you, we talked about language and stealing and anger and attitudes. And now we're going to talk about the, you know, dirty things. Fornication, impurity, covetousness. Let there be no filthiness. Okay, not even talking about it? No silly talk? nor levity, which are not fitting. Some translations say coarse jesting. You say, you mean, if Evan is trying to be funny in his sermon presentation, is he violating the very words that's staring at him off the page? Consider it. But how do I consider it? Because again, I don't know the words. I don't know what kind of joke is this joke? I don't know what kind of filthy talk. You can probably guess. You probably know. If the non-Christians ban it, it's probably filthy. But that's not how we go about it. Which are not fitting. We know the fit. We know what this engine runs on. We know what fragrance you're supposed to hold. It says... Instead, let there be thanksgiving. I was uh, asked recently about someone who was struggling on a sexual issue. And I uh, said, well, oddly enough, I, I'm not going to recommend that you uh, take cold showers and, and uh, just you know, power your way through all the temptation. You start thanking God. You start picking up his world the way he made it. The way, what you know what he wants you to stand in. A tranquil, kind, loving circumstance. And you know it is a good. You start to thank God for that good. Being thankful suddenly undercuts the covetous man. It undercuts the fornicator as well. Because what is the fornicator about? He's about taking things that aren't his yet. That's the problem with it. Too many non-believers go, you know, it's just sex, it's just natural. Yeah, but it's not yours yet. It's like theft. Maybe both of you agreed to rip each other off, but it's theft. It's not yours yet. And when I take something that's not mine, before it is mine, oh, I was going to buy it anyway. No. It's because you're not thankful for what you have. You're not thankful for the way it is. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure man or one who is covetous, that is an idolater, and he repeats that in Colossians. 
someplace, where he says covetousness, which is idolatry, which is what people go to the temples of the false gods to get. They want to manipulate the world of metaphysically to get stuff. Remember how I, was it last week or the week before I was talking about the church as an idolatry where we start crafting a religion to offer to God even though it's about Jesus and about you know true things in the Bible we're still crafting more religion. God is doing religion in us. We're not doing religion in front of him. He is doing religion in us. Because this is all the work of the Holy Spirit. This is all submitting yourself to God. He makes the religion. Whatever I would make back might be an idolatry, but so many times we would like to be in charge of what we offer, what kind of songs we offer, what kind of liturgy we offer, all the rest, because we want to make some kind of claim. We want to cash that in. How much faith do I need to get what I want when I pray? I've been to that conversation too many times. Where it actually was covetousness. How do I manipulate this? There was a track written for a certain group of people that was called How to Write Your Own Ticket with God. Well, that's a little uppity. But it's how a lot of people who are idolaters function. Fornication, the same way. The problem is not that your lusts are too strong. Jesus has a way, or St. Paul has a way. If your lusts are too strong, let them marry. It is no sin. Let them marry. It is no sin. Purchase it. Well, I want it. I want it for free. Stop and be thankful. But you better be sure that you know this is not because Christianity is not because rules were eliminated. The people who do such things has any they, they don't think that they have any, any inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. It says, be sure of this. Let no one deceive you. This is bad, and bad things are going to happen to the people who live this way. So don't think that there isn't a judgment. There's still a judgment. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Who we've become, you are checking to see whether or not, if in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. If in fact. You could be, in fact, a Christian and struggle with certain sins because, in fact, you decided you were going to grieve the Holy Spirit by which you were sealed. But perhaps you've done this because you were deceived. It's possible to be deceived. It's, it's possible to not be sure of any of this. I know most of evangelical Christianity would not even agree with this. They believe you need rules. And you've all been to churches that believe you need rules. And you perhaps maybe have been to churches that kind of were rule-free. No guilt trips put on anybody. No real standards. We have a standard of the Holy Spirit, the life of our Christ, imitators of God. Therefore, do not associate with them. Someone looking for the rule to keep their kids away from non-Christian company at the skate park. I don't think you should. It says do not associate with them. For once you were darkness and now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Now follow the thinking here. Okay, it gets a little Paul, Paul being confusing. Paul being Paul. When, but let me, let me read a little bit further. And try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of a thing that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it is said, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. So, what did it just tell us? Is this a new opportunity to make a rule about what kind of friends your kids have and to homeschool necessarily? 
because you'll keep them away from the sins of this present age and the public schools, let alone the private schools. Is this a chance to expose the works of darkness? Is this a chance to berate the sinner? Don't forget that God will judge the sinner. But don't be deceived. Be sure of this. God will judge the sinner. But is he saying this? Look at what he says. You expose... It's a shame to talk about those things. And of course, they're not fitting to talk about it. Remember it says, no evil come talk come out of your mouth, only as fits the occasion. There'll be no filthiness, silly talk, nor levity, which are not fitting. It's not fitting... In my association in the world, when Paul says, I wrote to you not to associate with immoral men, not at all meaning the immoral of this world, for then you would have to leave the world. Association here seems to be you know, sharing their conversation, being of the same mindset about either sexual things or, or early worldly things, so that you're trying to, trying to mold yourself into that mold. And he said, oh, yeah, don't be conformed to this world. Don't, I think J.B. Phillips had it, don't let the world push you into its mold. Okay, that's really good. Yeah. Don't let that happen. So the, you're stepping back from the world a little bit. And then it says, don't, you don't want to speak about the things they do in secret, but expose them to the light. So what does, just like we're tempted to make rules when we see a description of the Christian life, it says, I see a description, let's make a rule out of it. When it says expose them, what's our natural thought? Well, I'm already a rule, I'm already a rule person, right? What do rule people like to do? A little smash mouth Christianity, we're going to tell them where to get off. We're going to let them know that we th- what we think of them. That's how we expose them to the light. But this passage tells you Walking as children of the light, in verse 8, and tells you what the fruit of the light is. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Your presence in the world, you have an association with the world because you can't leave the world. You are not their associates of kind. You don't want to speak like them because it's not fitting for a Christian. But you want to expose them to the light. How good are you? Have you ever known somebody who was very, very concretely against sin and you say, this is the worst person I have ever met? Not just because they're berating, but just their life. They don't get along with anybody, their wife, their kids, anybody. We're to be good and right and true. And if a good and right and true individual is able to say to a non-believer, you do know that the living God says that is a sin against him. And he will judge the world. You do know that, right? You can get to bring that into the conversation very validly because you, they know they're loved. They know you're not berating them. They know that it's representative. It's the voice of the good, the right, and the true. Not the correct, the, the, the demanding. Because law really only increases the trespass. It doesn't give an answer. To become light, we want to be light. This kind of light. Therefore it is said, oh, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. Stuff happens, in other words. Stuff happens. Bad stuff. Your life, I'm old now. It It gets better, but it doesn't get, the world doesn't get more righteous. Making the most of the time, because the days are evil, do not be foolish, therefore, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you understand, I I keep referring to this passage in 1 Corinthians 6, about it tells you not to go visit a prostitute. And the reason it, does, it tells you not to visit a prostitute is because, not because there's a rule, don't visit prostitutes. There is, not, there is a rule. 
But he doesn't tell you that. He says, don't you know you're members of Christ? Don't you understand that you make yourself members of the prostitute? And you have made the members of Christ members of a prostitute? Don't you know that? Don't you understand? This is why. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you know why good is good? Why the, why the tranquility in you is flowing out of love? Why the tranquility in you is flowing? It's not because we sit cross-legged on a mountaintop and say a certain word repeatedly or do Christian yoga. It's because... We have been made like our Lord. We follow the way he walks. We find love. We understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. We were talking about this at Big House dinner the other night, about what drunkenness was. We know this is do not get drunk with wine. And he gives you a raisin. For that's debauchery but be filled with the Holy Spirit. A contrary, how to be. Not just what not to be, why not to be, and what to be instead of, filled with the Holy Spirit. If you, checking the dipstick in your life, go, you know, I'm a debauched individual. I have been drinking too much. Honestly appraise it. Say, if I not have the spirit of God in Christ, I do not have Christ. Am I just someone who has not become a Christian but hangs out with Christians? Do I want to become a Christian? Then there are people who, yeah, I, I really did, and I'm just a, I'm just a disgrace to the faith. That's, look at the dipstick, understand you've got to put a cord in. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it describes this more. Addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The reason we have requests is so that you can address one another in the hymn you want to bring up to the church. The reason I encourage you to sing parts is so that you can be part of shaping the beauty of the situation. You're not listening to the fancy choir. You're not listening to the hot worship team that you can't hear over the speakers. Yourself sing. You're singing to each other. I asked my dad back when my dad was in the hospital many years ago for getting his heart reamed out. Uh, I went up to see him and asked him something. I forget the nature of the question. So what? What's the what's the bedrock place of personal piety you go to? He said singing hymns. He had wires and tubes filling them up and. Singing hymns. He told me that back in the 70s too when I was in the Navy. Singing hymns. I'd go out and sing in, in a phone booth across from the barracks. Because acoustics are great in a phone booth. Do you sing? Do you sing at all? Do you, I say, I don't have a good voice. Alone, nobody cares but you. Do you sing? Just like the Thanksgiving with the sexual temptations. And the covetousness? Do you take the path that the Holy Spirit... Is there not a song in there that addresses this, your address? Sometimes you'll find a poetry. The great hymn writers would come up with a poetry that just said, I could never say it this well, and I want to say it. And people love, it is well with my soul because you're saying things that you know are true for you. It choked up at verse 3. Because you mean it. Mean it. Sing it. This is the answer to some of your problems. With all your heart. Always and for everything giving thanks. Always and for everything giving thanks. If we're to be exposing the world in its, our presence to the light and not holding a placard that says turn or burn, repent or perish, don't be these things. We are, we are being goodness and true and rightness. Giving and gracing one another, being tender-hearted, thanking him for everything. 
Nothing like it. Laying on a mattress. I always go here because it's what I think of it. Or the toilet. I don't mean to, you know, too much information. But have you ever thought what a special generation you are in the history of the world? You can go to some other country and they don't have them. They don't have toilets. Some of the people who have been to other countries are smiling because they don't have toilets there. We are this miracle moment, a beam of light coming down from heaven, landing on you in the bathroom. Thank God. Lying on the mattress that is greater than King Solomon's mattress that he could search the world over to find, you have a better one. And you bought it at Walmart. Thank God for always and for everything. And look at your children, look at your wife, look at your husband, and thank God. Start repeating Thanksgiving in your life. And it's always not this generic what the world does. Thanks. You know, a time of fruitful bounty at the time of year that we harvest things. And we don't thank anyone in particular. We're just thankful. We want to be thanksgivers. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God the Father, in his name, to God. We are edified in this. This is what we're about. This is a measurement. This is a dipstick. This is what you should recognize. The apostle said, if you have the spirit of Christ, this is what's going to show up. So you need to be told to look for this. You're not, you're not given a list of things to look for that some difficult pastor is going to make into a list of rules. But it is still the imperative of God's Holy Spirit. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Be merciful to us and our failures. Forgive us. Lord, you've given us great opportunity to be righteous in your Son, through your Holy Spirit, and we'd ask that we would stop messing around with our laziness or our piety. That we would come to the fruit of your Spirit in us for the kind of aroma that you would appreciate in our lives. Thank you for this tranquility. In your Son's name, amen.